This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Oh, dear Vanessa and Hank is ah, how I'd like to think about it. That's very good. <laughs> it's a comedy podcast where two brothers and sometimes one brother and a guest answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Vanessa, I was recently at the DFTBA warehouse and it kept howling at the moon and it was so distracting. And then I realized that it's a warehouse. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? (laughs) I'm glad that I sold it well enough for you to understand that the I'm sure that like 10% of people out there were like, I still don't know. What is DFTBA? (laughs) (laughs) It's our merchandise company. Do we sell your products? Uh, Some things, yeah. Yeah. Very nice hat. Oh, good. Well, go to DFTBA.com and find a Braincraft hat. Vanessa, what do you do for a living? I, like yourself, am a YouTuber. Mm. I have a channel called Braincraft. It's all about psychology and the science of you. Mm. I have made a little pivot this year into scientific personal development, let's Mm. say. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. things like how you can stop overthinking, when you should and shouldn't say sorry, how to construct the perfect apology, all kinds of fun things like that. It sounds like you might be good at giving advice. You know what? We'll see. I don't want to oversell myself. That's a very Australian thing is just to, to keep quiet about one's right. own own right. abilities. But it is one thing to read through scientific papers and right. write video scripts and another thing to dish out advice to real people. I'll tell you what, the, the thing that I have learned about giving advice to real people is that if I actually think about like what would be the best advice for this person, I'm completely unable to speak at all because, of course, I don't know the details of your situation. You have more questions from their questions. Yes, we need to do a session, Mm -hmm. them and me, Mm -hmm. because I'm perfectly, you know, trained and certified to do that kind of work. (laughs) Well, in one way, that's the beauty of this kind of advice is 
that you can give advice and you just have no idea what happens after that. That's true. So you can just assume. We occasionally get (laughs) follow-ups. Having an optimism (laughs) bias, you can just assume that everything went great. I'm sure that we've never led anyone astray. Do you want to answer some questions? I'm ready. From our listeners. This first one is from Lauren who asks, Dear Hank and Vanessa, has there ever been a time when it isn't raining? This isn't really advice. I'm sorry. I gave you false information when I told you it was an advice podcast. Is there any time when it isn't raining or precipitating in some form in any part of the world, or is it constantly raining at least a little bit somewhere? Now that I know this is your area of expertise. You're aware that I'm a paleoclimatologist? Are you? Is that a word? I just kind of made that up. I th- I'm pretty sure that... It's like it's a thing. I think that is somebody who studies the climate of the past. Yes. Because did it rain during the Ice Age? It's uh, just a follow-up question that well, I have. Well, yes. Lauren says, or precipitate in some form. Right, right. But was it icy enough that it didn't rain anywhere? I think there was still probably rain parts. There was a period of time in the distant past called the Snowball Earth. That was, like, not just an ice age. This was, like, way, way long ago, like, more than a billion years. But how much more? Don't ask me. I haven't Googled it. When the entire Earth was covered in ice. And it was, like, a big deal. It was a problem for the life at the time, which I think there was some of. (laughs) Was it hard ice or was it soft, powdery snow? I'm just wondering what kind of snowball we're dealing with. Well, I think that soft, powdery snow eventually turns into hard ice Mm -hmm. if you give it enough time. Right. Under the right conditions. You being from Australia, you wouldn't know. (laughs) But in here in Missoula, Montana. It snows in a few places. It snows sometimes and then it immediately melts. When it snows and then stays, you've noticed that snow, like, is so beautiful on day one. And then a week later, you just live in sharp land. Sharp. Where everything is pokey. It's awful. <laughs> Snowball Earth just turns into sharp land yeah, after a it while. Become, well, that's, I mean, that's how glaciers get made. It snows, and then over time, the snow just sort of, like, sticks to itself and then becomes a giant big ice rock. That's blue. Beautiful ice mm-hmm. rock. Gorgeous ice rocks. It's definitely raining at some point on the Earth at all times. There's probably a very, very small probability that it's not. If you, like, go to first principles, I don't know if there's a reason why it must be raining at all times. Mm. I think it's just that the chance is so small. It's like the odds that all of the air in this room would collect in one corner and we'd die. Right now? Yeah. Wow. It's something that my chemistry professor told me was possible, but... Again, I haven't Googled it. It would have been warmer around the equator, right? Right. So it probably still would have had some kind of rain around the equator. Yeah. And there is also a place where it rains. There's like a thunderstorm that like never ends in South America. There's this very weird geographical feature. And it's this giant lagoon where like warm winds from the Caribbean blow in all the time and like hit this V-shaped mountain. And there's just a thunderstorm that never stops. It does sometimes stop during the winter or something. But, like, just that one place. You said that quite forcefully. A thunderstorm that, that never, never stops. stops. Except for, like, 100 days a year. <laughs> just quite a few days. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's like a yeah. third of the year. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good, and you can hear about it on my podcast, Earthbones. Where That's I just, not a real podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> for a moment, I was like, well, Hank does, like, 30 things, so... <laughs> Perhaps the eons evolved into a podcast called Earthbones. <laughs> yeah, Earthbones is my podcast where I just look at Google Earth and I'm like, wow, that's cool. But mm-hmm. it's really boring to listen to because you can't see what I'm looking at. Some people listening here might disagree. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like we handled Lauren's question with a plum. Uh, and so we're going to move on to this one, which is from Emily and is actually advice. I'm ready. Dear Hank and Vanessa, I will be attending a very expensive private university in the fall. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. Emily. Congratulations. This sounds terrible. Thankfully, I received a lot of scholarships and got all of my tuition covered. But my scholarships are dependent on my major. What do I do if I decide to change my major? The idea of being stuck with one major seems like too big of a life choice when I'm so young. What if I now like music, but in a month I fall in love with juggling and decide to be a clown or psychology? A future clown psychologist, Emily. Emily, it sounds like you're a music major. It sounds like you've worked hard to get good at a music thing of An some instrument. Kind. Yes. Well, possibly. Yes. You could just be very thoughtful about music, I guess. <laughs> music theory? Yeah. <laughs> I've never played an instrument, but I think about it a great deal. Mm, I love writing sheet music. Yeah. <laughs> just write it down. I don't want to hear it, though. So, Emily, I'm going to go ahead and say that you need to stick with your music. But you can also do some psychology on the side. So, uh, university interests me a lot because it's a bit different in Australia, where I'm from, compared yeah, to the U.S. It's, it's probably. Is it better? Um... Is it cheaper? Yes, but I think it's just different because it's cheaper. Like a lot of okay. the degrees are shorter. Here they all uh, go for four years. Uh-huh. But there you can do a bachelor's degree in three or three and a half uh-huh. or four, depending on on what it is. Mm-hmm. But you have to pick your major before you even start. So when you're 17. And you can't switch? You can, but sometimes it's disadvantageous because you right. have to take the 100-level courses over. Mm-hmm. I switched, but it was within sciences, so I was able to, like, retain what I had done. Yeah. yeah, but I think the lesson from that for me is that a lot of my friends who took random majors aren't working in those fields yeah. at all. Right. And you get a pretty cheap education in Australia, and I think if Emily's also in this position and she has all these scholarships and things, just do it. Yeah. And then maybe you can take general education subjects, you can take a minor in whatever it may be, or you can do right. another very expensive degree after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one you'll pay for. Sure. Definitely get the, the, the free education you can get. Exactly. Especially if you get to go to a very expensive private university, which yeah. now does sound like a little bit of a brag. When I first read it, so? it sounded mostly like, I have made a terrible decision. But now that I know she's not paying for it. So the other thing I'll say is that like get those psychology courses because like ultimately most people who major in psychology don't end up working in psychology. They end up using their education in various other ways, whether that's in writing or in public relations or just in being a human being. And so, you know, you get those general education things, but you also come out of it, I would think, you know, having a skill in this ability to play this musical instrument that will be with you for your whole life. Possibly it will be your job, and so people won't be surprised, but usually it will be something that is a skill that you just bust out one day and people are like, holy moly, you can fiddle, girl! So there could be a lot of busking in Emily's future. She'll never be down and out because she can always busk. There's always busking. There's some wedding performances which have a real high premium. Right. Well, at the very least, you can do it for your friends. Exactly. Which is what all of my music major friends have done. It's like, nice to have them in the friend group so they can play piano at your wedding. (laughs) This next question comes from Anonymous who is just very ashamed of a thing they shouldn't be ashamed of. Dear Hank and John, I'm 17 years old and I can't ride a bike. 
Whenever I tell people this, they are understandably surprised. There's no cool story behind this. I just never learned how. I have no idea what I'm doing. I get the basic idea, but no one has ever explained to me how to go about this. How do I learn to ride a bike? Any advice appreciated. Anonymous. So what is a possible cool story about not being able to ride a bike? There's no cool story behind this. Like, did I you was grow raised, up I was on a yacht, on a, sailing around the world? I lived on a boat my whole childhood. I was on a weird commune where we have all the normal stuff, but bikes aren't allowed. Exactly. <laughs> no <laughs> wheels. We got cars, but we're no bikes. Human-powered wheels are no no unicycles are okay <laughs> so i i have some advice are you a bike rider i have been in the past you're capable of riding you a know bike. when i was a kid i did competitive cycling so what does that I, mean what did you like racing like i was 10 years old and i had uh brightly colored shorts uh-huh. and the bike vest and like, everything like that on like roads in a like a circuit Oh, in a circuit. It was outdoors. It wasn't like a velodrome. Is that what it's called? A velodrome? It wasn't like a velodrome. I have no <laughs> idea what a velodrome is. A velodrome. That sounds like a speed house. A velodrome is in the Olympics, the indoor place where oh, they ride bikes. Okay. But also in French, velo means bike. Anyway, I, I was terrible at competitive cycling. Oh, okay. I always came last. <laughs> but but you are you are better at cycling than anonymous. <laughs> Yes, I suppose. And I do have a bike that I ride around the city occasionally. Yes, when necessary. Yeah. My advice has nothing to do with my apparent proficiency in cycling. <laughs> <laughs> because when I started high school, which in Australia is when you're like 12 years old, oh. there was a swimming pool at the high school. Yeah, you can't bike in swimming pools, Vanessa. I, Everyone I, knows that. You know, there are some gym classes like underwater cycling. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Well, apparently yeah. I, I didn't want to be that well, actually, person, but I've seen those <laughs> at a gym before. And I've thought, wow, they're really weird. Yeah. Who wants to bike underwater? Okay, so there was a swimming pool at your high school. And we had to dive into the pool. And I was 12 years old. I didn't know how to dive. Okay. So the first week I made up some excuse where I could get out of it. And then I, I went home and I practiced diving like so many hours a day for the whole week. And I was terrible at it at first. I mean, Diving seems kind of easy, but there is some kind of skill to like sure. getting your hands there and wiggling your body under the water rather than just doing a belly flop. Uh-huh. So I did a lot of belly flops, but eventually I figured it out. I asked my mom this question last night because oh. she was over at my house and she was like, well, that sounds like something you can Google. And she did. And there's this whole like guide to how to ride a bike as an adult. Because there's this thing about being an adult riding a bike is that you're far off of the ground. When you're a kid, you fall over. It was like a foot. You know, yeah. when you're an adult, you're like way up there. You're like six feet up. That's a long way for your head to go yeah. from the top to the yeah. bottom. And so the advice was take the pedals off a bike and sit on it with like the seat low and you like scoot with your feet. Oh. And so you do that for like a couple of days. It does seem to indicate that it would be nice to have a friend to help you, though. And so Anonymous, read this article at whatever the thing that my mom found was. I think also don't be like so ashamed of this because it's totally normal to not have some skills that other people have. We all have some gaps in our abilities that are, you know, don't have any good stories to go along with them. It's just how it is. And there's no reason to be ashamed of that. And it, you know, might be something to like reach out to a close friend or a family member to say like, hey, can you help me with this thing? And it will bring you closer. See, I feel like this was good advice. My advice was just practice for a few hours every day until <laughs> you can do Just jump into it. a pool over and over again <laughs> until you can bike. You know who Anonymous needs as a coach is Destin Sandlin. Oh, yeah. You can, you can 
can learn to ride a bike with your backwards, backwards. handlebars. <laughs> that sounds awful. This next question comes from Nir, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I mean, here Hank and Vanessa. Thank you. My wife and I are traveling in the U.S. on our honeymoon. We came across a weird situation when ordering and paying for food at a counter. When you pay with a credit card, the cashier turns the screen around at you so you can improve the transaction. But then another message comes up asking you to choose the amount of tip you want to add. And this happens before any food is prepared or any other service is rendered. So you kind of feel like you have to tip, even though nothing has happened happened yet? Please clarify what you're supposed to do in America. I'm never too far near. That that, would, that was the best part of the question. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not from America. Correct. How do you feel about this situation? So I think that other cultures, like perhaps European cultures, Australia, New Zealand, whatever, tip when the service or food is exceptional. Mm -hmm. But in America, I think one thing that people don't understand is that the tip actually constitutes an essential part of that person's wage. Right. So you kind of have to tip no matter what. Yeah. This is like a coffee shop situation oftentimes. And coffee shop is not obligate tipping in, yeah. in my head. I always tip at a coffee shop. Yeah. I don't know. My policy is like a dollar a person at a coffee shop situation. And I don't really no know. No matter what you get. Well, no, if I get if like... if you just get a coffee, I will give like a quarter or two quarters or okay. something. Yeah, if I get like a drip coffee mm, and you're just exactly. like pushing a button. If there's like barista-ing happening, it's a buck for me. Yeah. Which is weird because it's like a $2 coffee and I'm paying a dollar for... Where a are you getting a, an espresso-based drink for $2? In Missoula, Montana, <laughs> my friends. <laughs> At the coffee shop I go to nearly every day because partially because the coffee is inexpensive. I feel like in this situation, you should give them a, a minimum tip. Right. Yeah, minimum tip depending on the situation. If it's a coffee house situation, maybe like 10%, I would say, right. as a guide. If it's something a bit fancier, 15 minimum. Right. It's weird to read this question because I'm like, well, of course, that's what you do. But the transition from like when tips were for exceptional service in the yeah. U.S. until now has been slow and long. And so like the cultural norm of like, you know, there's a bucket there to put the money in and, like, you're not going to have another interaction with that person. Yeah. I'm not going to get up from my seat after I finish my coffee and go back to the tip jar to give a dollar. If that's what you want to do, you can totally do that. There's probably a jar there as well. So you can say, like, no tip and then, like, give the tip later. I have done that. Usually it's to give an extra tip. If, like, something <laughs> happened, like my child made a mess, yeah. I'll go and be like, I don't have time to clean this mess up right now. Here's $2 <laughs> in the extra tip. Lily, I'm sorry that I've left you with this, but we're having a tantrum situation. <laughs> you know, I really feel for Nia because I find tipping in America kind of stressful. Yeah. Like the way that I have reduced my stress is just by tipping probably too much over tipping. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, look, I'm just going to do this all the time and never think about it again. Because the first few years I was here, I was just thinking about it all the time. And when you get your haircut, when you get a right. manicure, like in all these situations, when I get my dog groomed and it costs a hundred bucks and I also have to give a tip. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Again, I feel like we're killing it today. Thank you for doing this. Vanessa has a cold, so she's... What? Can you tell? No, I don't know if people can tell. <laughs> this next question comes from Hillary, who asks, Dear Hank and Vanessa, My roommate is apparently enjoying the strategy of watching TV to a commercial and then doing some things around the house during the commercial break. It's a great strategy. But I just came into the room and I've been sitting in front of the TV for 10 minutes in silence. At what point does she forfeit the TV? 
squash and squid Hillary. So I have this vision of Hillary writing this question over email while she's still sitting on the couch. Right. It's probably what happened because they're like, I'm having a thing and I I feel like I should be waiting to not take over the TV watching. So there's one thing I'm confused about. Is Hillary sitting through the commercials or has she put it on mute? Well, it says in silence. I assume what has happened is that the commercial has ended and the TV show has restarted and Hillary is watching the TV show. Got to get that remote. What I have to say to Hillary is, have you noticed that it's 2000? 19. Who watches TV? Who watches commercials? And, and commercials. Yeah, yeah. Where are you? What's happening? Just take out your phone and open Netflix with your parents' account. Yeah. <laughs> and watch on that with no commercials. I don't know if this advice is going to make Hillary feel better about her situation. I think that minimizing roommate conflict is an important part of, like, Hillary's life. And will be for as long as Hillary has a roommate. And one great way to do that is to just watch TV on your own personal device. Get your headphones out. The screen on my phone is better than the screen on my TV anyway. My iPad is killer. My phone was more expensive than my TV. Yeah. That's a wild truth. So Hillary needs to be just consuming more personal entertainment. Right. That's where we're going with this advice. Unless this is about a live sporting event is the only reason I can Mm. think this would be an actual concern. Or if Hillary doesn't have a phone or has like a flip phone. I think maybe Hillary can kindly ask the roommate just to leave the remote by the TV. Right. Because then she could just turn mute off and then she won't be sitting there in silence. (laughs) Problem solved. And if the roommate comes back in, you can switch back. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've had a roommate, so I'll say that. So ultimately, you know your relationship better than I do. But just bust out your computer and watch Netflix. Yeah, There's I just a lot of good TV personally got a TV about two years ago. It was your first one? It's my first one, yeah. Of your life? Yeah. Wow. Were you raised on a yacht? I <laughs> Funny story, <heck. laughs> I was raised on a yacht, but it had a velodrome. So I was able to it learn competitive very cycling. <laughs> um, I mean, I had a TV in my parents' house, but I meant since I moved out. I mean, who has time for this? My parents were telling me about all these great shows. They were like, you haven't seen Dairy Girls? Dairy Girls? (laughs) Is that like a reality TV show with milkmaids? I initially assumed that that's what it was. And then they were like, no, it's set in Northern Ireland. So I was like, so Northern Irish dairy. But no, it's D-E-R-R-Y. Dairy, the the place. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents were like, we've watched it through twice. Wow. (laughs) So I don't know that I'm going to get to catch up on Dairy Girls, but it sounds from their synopsis very good. I actually got a 4K TV to watch YouTube. (laughs) You were like, I'm tired of not being able to watch all these great 4K YouTube shows. Exactly. The future that we live in. Yeah. There's four different Ks, or maybe they're the same K. We've got another question. This one's from Leah, who asks, Dear Hank and Vanessa, my ballet school recently gave me a lovely blanket as a graduation gift. Sure. Why not? It's soft and fuzzy and warm, but there's just one problem. It's covered in pictures of me. Oh, I'd love to take it to college, but I can't help but think that my roommate will get the wrong impression. (laughs) Yeah, that seems likely. I don't want to look any weirder than I already am. Leah. Woof. Why does anybody think that's a good idea? I think a blanket is an easy thing to leave behind. But it's nice to have a fuzzy blanket. Yeah, I suppose. 
I love a fuzzy blanket. And like, you know, sometimes in your dorm, you don't get to control the climate or your roommate has different preferences I've than n- you. I've never lived in a dorm. Because that Australian <laughs> education of yours. <laughs> you just live at home oh, with okay. your parents. Okay. Yeah, it's like, it's way worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can you flip the blanket? Uh, What's can underneath? Can you flip the blanket? The can you pretend that the pictures are of your twin sister and you just want to be close to her? Or a famous ballerina. <laughs> Some other, also named Lee. That's not me. That's some other ballerina. We just look very similar. Are they ballet photos where you can't quite make out the face, you know, like an Estedford photo that's far away? Or I assume like that. that a fuzzy blanket has like low it's few pixels per <laughs> inch, you know? <laughs> it's a fuzzy blanket. It's going to be a little bit like you're not wearing your glasses. Mm. So at home, I have some potholders that my nana made for me, which uh-huh. are quilt. She hand quilted them, but on the material, she printed out pictures of my face. (laughs) So so you're familiar with this problem. I'm familiar with this problem. Textiles with your face on them in your home. What do do people think when they see them? The thing is, I feel odd using them as potholders because they're my my school photos from when I'm like seven or eight years old. Oh, they're like little you. Little me. Yeah. Yeah. And you just like burn them, like hold them to the (laughs) side of the hottest thing in your home. It's just such an odd thing to make out of out of photos of someone printed on material. When did you receive these potholders? When I was (laughs) eighteen. They were a gift from my nana. No, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So I have really just had them in a in a container ever since I got them. I've never used them as oh. pot holders because I just didn't understand why I would. So you don't even know if it's if they would work. Like my concern is that whatever was printed on this would mm-hmm. melt. It doesn't seem like your nana necessarily it's thread, has like it's cotton. So I don't. But it's printed somehow. It is printed. Whatever yeah. that ink is, I'm worried yeah. that it's just going to like hit that pot and immediately mm. vaporize. And I'm just saying, I don't know that your nana had actual use in mind mm. when this was created. What I did recently, I actually found them a few weeks ago. So this is really top of mind for me. And my partner, <laughs> you, did you fly them out to the um, the United States of America with you? <laughs> they were with a box of my things that I already had. You know, actually, my mum brought them. Oh wow! She had them with some of her things and was like, for. Uh, time for you to take ownership of your potholders. <laughs> but my partner has an iPad stand uh-huh. on his bedside table, uh-huh. and I took the iPad out and just put the potholder there. And he really moaned when he saw it, uh, <laughs> except he hasn't moved it. So oh, it's actually, like, this is, like, to this day, just on his bedside table, this potholder that has a quilted photo of me when I was seven years old. <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? I can see that. So you think she should just tack it up in her room, just display it proudly? I think she should use it. I mean, as you said, it's warm and yeah. functional. Uh, I And you can make up a twin sister. Yeah, yeah. I think she should just take it. It's better than holding it against the hottest thing in your home, which is, reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by holding Vanessa's own face against a hot, boiling hot can of Whatever, which is what your Nana wanted you to do and you haven't done it. It's actually a special line of Tupperware, what you just mentioned. (laughs) The boiling hot can. The podcast is brought to you by Advil, cold and sinus, which if you have (laughs) any time after lunch, you will not sleep at all. Oh, okay. At all. You're a champion. Thank you. For doing this. Thank you. This podcast (laughs) is also brought to you by the Snowball Earth. A period of time, some time in the past... When the earth was icy, and that's all I remember. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Velodrome, an exciting place of bicycles, cheering and floor wax. Oh, floor wax. They wax the floors so the so the wheels go faster. Have you never watched the Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> Did they have a floor waxing competition? Is that part of the thing? I think they have whatever a Zamboni for floor oh. wax is. They have some, <laughs> some machine right, that okay. comes around. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare high rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash Dear Hank. And polishes. Maybe it's just polish. <laughs> I've got a question that is specific to our Australian friends from Tom who asks, Dear Hank and Vanessa, what do you think of compulsory voting? In Australia, all citizens are required to vote. And while there are clearly upsides to this, I feel like having the right to do something, i.e. voting, also means you should have the right not to do it. Not shirt for Thomas, Tom. It's just Tom. It's written like Tom on the birth certificate. We all know that about Tom now. What do you think of your compulsory voting? Are you still an Australian? Do I not sound you, like an Australian? No. I'm just a random faux English woman like with still, a cold. Are you still required to vote? Yeah, I have to. So I, I work in the US, but I have working visas. I, right. I don't have a green card or anything like that. So I have to be a permanent resident somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm still a resident in Australia. So Australia had a federal election maybe two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really annoys me about compulsory voting is that you get fined if you don't vote. Right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be compulsory. So I've gotten fined in the past, and it's so annoying because you have to send in, like, a copy of your last boarding pass or whatever, like, to prove Uh, that you weren't there and you couldn't vote. Can you do it by absentee like you can everywhere else in the world? So I live in New York, so I went to the consulate in New York to vote. And there's a three-week period that it's open for people to come, and I saved it right up until the last half an hour that it was open. (laughs) (laughs) You and Every other Australian in New York. There was a line that was like curving (laughs) out the door, and you had to. Yes, it was so busy, and I was. And then I really hated compulsory voting. Yeah, at that moment. Yeah, it does does seem like you a little bit created that problem for yourself. Wow, Hank. I wasn't asking for advice in this moment. Uh, but I mean, my problems aside, right. perhaps, perhaps I, I could have been a little more organized. Um, 
<laughs> it does create a new set of problems mm-hmm. where um, people donkey vote. Have you heard of donkey voting? Where you just vote for donkeys? <laughs> you just write in donkey in every single slot. You're like, donkey, 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 donkey. And then you throw it up in the air and you say, I did it. Whoever your prime minister is, I couldn't come up with any Australian prime minister. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into politics in this hour, but I, I wasn't thrilled with the I've outcome. I've heard that it, had, it didn't go great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, a donkey vote is when you just tick anything. So you right. barely even look at the paper. It's right. like you're a throwaway mm. vote. So there's a lot of donkey voting. Mm. So could you put a little check at the top and just say donkey? And then you can check the donkey check, and then you're basically saying, like, I choose not to vote. But you're so, doing it. I suppose that would be fine because the thing about voting is you need to get your name marked off on the electoral roll. Mm-hmm. And that's how you have said you turned up, you don't get fined, all that. I good. exist. Yes, all that. yeah. So I suppose you could do that because no one actually looks at your paper after right. you submit it. So okay. if you wanted to create your own party, right. the donkey party. Ooh, I like it. I'm on you board. Could, yeah. There's a lot of odd parties. I don't know about that here, but because we have a party system where you go and vote, there's the science party and the legalization of weed party and the fishing and hunting party and the automobile party. And there's all mm. of these random so parties. It sounds like a bunch of fun parties to just, go to. <laughs> people just create. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's, and if it's available. And fun fact, last election, there was this guy from, I think it was the automobile party in uh-huh. Victoria that won a seat in the Senate or something because everyone donkey voted him. Oh, <laughs> he got donkey voted so hard he won. And he's yeah. like, I have to do stuff now? Exactly. Do I get paid for this? Exactly. <laughs> Do I at least get health care? You get health care, I guess. Everybody gets health care. That's yeah. nice. We're, I don't know if we really came to a good conclusion there. Well, I, I, I think, like, there's no perfect system, no. right? But I think, like, generally I think compulsory voting is better mm. because you have more people voting. And yeah. even though some of them aren't legitimate votes, right. overall you have, like, a turnout and more people having a say. And feeling enfranchised, which is really, like, the big thing in democracy is like yeah. feeling like you are part of the system. If you don't feel like you're part of the system, then the system stops working. Yeah. Donkey, 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 donkey. Good chat. All right. This next question is sent in by Brian. Oh, no, it's his brain. I'm sorry. Well, that's so funny because I often call my channel Brian Craft. <laughs> By accident, <laughs> when I'm typing, other than brain Right, right, right. Yeah, that and then sense. I imagine what that would be like, and I just imagine some <laughs> old dude in his basement just cutting things out of yeah. paper. And that is Brian Craft. Yeah, Brian Craft. Yeah. Is, is it not a channel? It very well could be. I, I wish know. someone would do a parody of me yeah. and call it Brian Craft. <laughs> so Brain says, Dear Hank and Vanessa, when SpaceX finally sends humanity to Mars after 2028, this is a weird inside joke on the podcast, and we reach the point that we're colonizing it, will we create a new country in Mars? Or since SpaceX is U.S.-based, I don't know why SpaceX is the only way that we're going to do this, but the U.S. government will claim the Mars and make it their new state. We have a 51st state, Mars. Pinky and the br- brain. It says brain. It's really hard not to say Brian. Aren't there 
52 states already? No. Really? Only 50. 50. Oh, gosh. Only 50. That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> this, this, you're going to hurt my feelings. Like, we don't have a lot of states. I thought there were more than 50. With, there's some talk about 51, but... Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. It deserves it. They're U.S. citizens. It's very strange. It's very strange. But it's obviously a very contentious thing yeah. for a lot of reasons that don't have that much to do with anything except for elections and, mm. like, political parties. Wanting to win or not lose elections. Anyway, Mars feels like, what would it be? What it would it be? be? It it's would be something thing. like the European Union, I feel. But like at the beginning, I don't think it would be. At the mm. beginning, I think we'd say like, that's a colony. That's just a bunch of Americans and other people from other countries like living, like the space station almost. Like the space station isn't a country or McMurdo. Like mm. it's just like, that's. I guess McMurdo would be the best example. I, I think Antarctica is a good example yeah. for it because you have all these different territories of mm-hmm. different countries there and they have outposts there and everything like that. So maybe that. Right. And it's just sort of an outpost. But then yeah. eventually, if you get self-sustaining, those people are going to claim independence. You know they are. The they're, Martians. They're not gonna, yeah. Those mm. Martians are going to be Martians. They're not going to want to be subject to all of our whims. They're not going to want to vote pay, in pay Australia taxes. while they're on Mars. Imagine that. that. Yeah, you got to go to the Australian <laughs> consulate. <laughs> Let on Mars you gotta pay to your $20 your fine. How much is the fine? It's about 50. Oh, that's, yeah. that's rough. Well, you know, I'm sure that they use it for something good. Free healthcare for everybody. You can also vote online. I voted on. I know Hank's face was just bewildered right why, then. Why don't not you the, go to the council? Well, not in the federal election, but there was a oh. state election maybe a month ago, and you could just vote online, and it was so easy. Wow. So I'd like to think that they put the fines into creating better systems. Mm. That's such a boring thought. This is what <laughs> I think of when I'm in bed at night. <laughs> People creating better systems. Yeah. You take my $50 and make better systems, I'll be happy to give it. We probably will deal with this with the moon first. The thing and is, I think the moon is close enough that it will be harder for them to be independent. But Mars is so far away. I don't think there's going to be cooperation. Because when you think about it, it's not Australia and the UK and Canada and the US who are all colonizing Mars. It's going to be the US and China and yeah. Russia, basically. Probably the US and China would be my guess. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Yeah. And, and they can't even agree on trading things across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> so how are we going to agree yeah, that's a great on Martian point. law? The, the other thing that may happen is it probably won't be SpaceX, but it might be sort of corporate colonies, like company towns. So Elon Musk of... is going to be some kind of monarch? Are we already kind of in that situation? Yes. <laughs> with, the, with the internet? Because, like, you and I have our businesses based on YouTube, and we sort of, like, live in that social space. It's important to us. It's economically important to us, socially important to us. But, like, if that's a town we live in, it's not a democracy. Vanessa just blinked a long blink at me. (laughs) It's called staying awake. (laughs) You you said the word democracy, and I just started to doze right off. (laughs) Do you think we answered Brain's question? Uh, I don't think that we can answer Brain's question, but I think there is a great deal of excellent science fiction about this topic that you can explore. Yes. Um, Who owns the potatoes? I I would not be surprised if the future colonies of other, you know, worlds in our solar system end up being deeply different in terms of how they are governed than the institutions that we have right now. Like, if you built it from scratch, things would be different if you did it now. 
Okay, Vanessa, we're going to do some responses to things that have happened on previous podcasts. Uh, this one's from Chris, who says, Hi, Green Brothers, and also Vanessa. Thank you. I'm sure you've gotten a bunch of emails about this already, but in case you haven't, I wanted to write you to let you know that in Korea, you do actually gift ducks when people get married. These are wooden ducks, so less of a burden, but the duckly sentiment is still there. Dumplings and ducks, Chris. The duckly sentiment. <laughs> I mean, why not? have wedding ducks? So I had some follow-up questions about the ducks. I listened to the duck episode uh -huh. and I wondered, can you eat the duck? Like, do you need... Your to... engagement duck? Yeah. Can you eat your engagement duck? I mean, do you have to keep the duck as a pet or could it be a peeking duck? <laughs> the, the accent got me a little confused on that one for How a second. How do you say it? Uh, peeking. Peeking? Peeking is like if it was coming around from the corner. <laughs> There's like gonna be I, it could absolutely be a peeking duck. I don't know. Is it a voyeur? Like what's happening with this duck? <laughs> but do you have to keep the duck alive for a long period of time? Because they seem to think that it was a burden, but my view was that perhaps it could be a meal. It was just food. Just I like know that this won't be a popular view <laughs> with a lot of listeners. <laughs> But it was just a question. There are definitely people who have pet ducks in America. It's not uncommon in mm -hmm. certain parts of the U.S. So I think it was meant to be a pet duck. Okay. But I don't know. If my mother-in-law gives me a duck, like, I'm not going to kill it. Also, if it's an engagement duck and we've replaced rings with ducks, I would feel a little weird about murdering the duck. I think in that sense you should keep the duck. Right. We were not aware of all of these scenarios. Right. For, or maybe for you just couple. set the duck free. Like the duck is exactly. there for the moment. Take it it's, to a pond. It's about this moment in time. Like nothing is permanent. Yes. Eventually we will all die. And so like diamond isn't forever and neither is a duck. A duck is for this moment where I want to know if you want to spend the rest of your life with me. And so does the duck. And then once we all have agreed. The duck should be is, free. The duck should be free. Let it go. <laughs> Did you get any wooden ducks when you were married, Hank? No, I got like a mixer. Oh, like a stand mixer? Yeah, for like baking. Oh, that's handy. Mm -hmm. Silverware plates, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> And this final response is from Francesca, who asks, Dear Hank and Vanessa, I was listening to your weird statistics episode and you answered a question about making boxed mac and cheese. I'm from the UK and I'm very confused. Do you make the cheese sauce from a powder? Is there pasta in the box? Is the pasta also powder? Is nothing normal in America? Confused about pasta, Francesca. Do you have... Craft macaroni and cheese in Australia? I think we do, but I must say that I'm not confused about box mac and cheese because I watch South Park, and anyone who was a fan of <laughs> Terrence and Philip would be familiar with Craft Dinner. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's where most of my knowledge comes from. <laughs> it's wild to me that someone could, like, reach the age of adulthood without having consumed millions of calories of boxed macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Some people just choose differently. Or, like, apparently they have the choice made for them by the place where they live on the planet. Yeah. Yes, the cheese is a powder, and you mix it with milk, milk? and butter. Yeah. Or just water, if you're my wild brother. Is he lactose intolerant? No, he's just very strange. Interesting. He eats his cereal with milk, Vanessa. 
I mean, with I, I was thinking that's pretty normal, actually. He eats his cereal with water. He eats his cereal. I, we've with all water. done that when we've run out of milk, let's be honest. Have we? I have. I okay. have not. Just occasionally, if you have a little drop of milk left, you can put that on and then top it up with water. So uh, it's like a milky water. Ugh. I, I mean, don't know why this sounds nothing, so unappealing. Better to me. than nothing. I disagree. I like to eat frosted mini wheats dry. Like, I'm into it. Dry. And then you can, and then you can just drink a glass of water when you're done. It takes a while. Like, I'm a dry cereal guy myself. I can't begin to understand. Like, Francesca can't begin to understand the pasta. So the pasta is actual macaroni. Yeah. Pasta. It's just pasta. In the box, and it's just surrounded by cheese dust. No, no, no. There's a packet of cheese. There's a packet of cheese dust? Yeah. Inside the box, there's a bunch of macaronis and a cheese powder packet. Okay. First, you boil the pasta. This, I can't believe I'm explaining this. You boil the <laughs> pasta, you strain it, and then you put it back in the pot, and then you put the cheese dust with some milk in, and then you mix it up. People could also play this section of the podcast for, like, their seven-year-old who's just <laughs> learning how to do this. <laughs> I like the, the thought that you, like, you just put the, I you the just whole put thing them in, together. in, like, and it's just, like, cheese soup macaroni. And you just, like, dr- like, when you're done with it, you just drink all the cheesy water that's left in there, like ramen noodles. Yeah, I can't say I've ever made it. I don't think I've No, ever made clearly it. you have not. <laughs> But I have had it before. I think they have it in Australia. I also lived in Canada for a year, so we definitely had it then. This is making me wildly hungry. Should we go get lunch? Yes. <laughs> but first, we have to get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Vanessa, can you tell us what's happening in Wimbledon, United Kingdom, Earth? Okay, coming in hot is your AFC Wimbledon news. Nesta Guinness-Walker. Guinness is a wonderful middle name. 19-year-old left back who grew up in Wimbledon signed this week, which is great, I guess. He seems very nice. (laughs) Did that not sound sincere? Yeah, I I wrote this not, John, just for clarity. (laughs) (laughs) Nesta is a non-traditional player who was signed without an agent. Wow. Mm -hmm. After playing in non-league teams. Mm. This is unusual. Apparently. Nesta came to the attention of scouts after switching to the left-back role from midfield while playing for the Metropolitan Police. That sounds like a band. (laughs) (laughs) Like a song. Yeah. By the village people. The Metropolitan (laughs) Police. (laughs) Which, confusingly, is a soccer team and not a police department. (laughs) I'm a local boy, he says. I only live down the road. Everyone who is a football fan knows about AFC Wimbledon and the story of this club. The sky is the limit with the talent of the squad and the experience of Wally Downs. What is Wally Downs? He's a man. He is a human being. (laughs) Wally Downs. (laughs) Sounds like a ranch in a cartoon. Wally Downs, where all the children live. (laughs) There is no limit to what can be achieved here. And that concludes your update. the best AFC Wimbledon news we've ever had. I'm excited. He seems like a stand-up kid, 19 years old, and he's probably good at soccer. He's a disruptor, is right. what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Non-traditional background, was playing for the police, uh, switched roles. <laughs> I mean, it's a great story. I was so story. confused. It's a great it's, story. The, the sub-headline said, Nestor Guinness switching from Metropolitan Police after trial. And I was like, was, wow. he, was he, what was he accused of? But it was Conf- like, a trial like you go onto the pitch and you kick the ball around and they decide whether they like you. Yeah, he he sounds like a lovely guy. Yeah. In news from Mars, we're always looking for ways to make oxygen in general, but also on Mars specifically because you need it in order to 
exist there. There is plenty of like oxygen atoms on Mars. There is just no molecular oxygen, which is a pretty unstable molecule. It reacts really easily with stuff. For example, the iron on Mars reacted with molecular oxygen to produce the iron oxide, which makes it its beautiful rusty color. And there's also carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Most of Mars's atmosphere is carbon dioxide. There's also giant hunks of solid carbon dioxide at the poles. And so we are interested on Mars, but also on Earth in how you can turn carbon dioxide into oxygen and get the carbon out on Earth. This would be useful because we don't want it carbon dioxide in the atmosphere as much as we currently do because its concentration is increasing rapidly and heating up the planet. But a team of researchers from the California Institute of Technology, Caltech... Took and- a long time to get to that piece of news. <laughs> it was <laughs> a pretty long the context. A lot uh, of context. In, in Caltech has created a new system to use kinetic energy to turn carbon dioxide into oxygen. So basically, you speed up the carbon dioxide, you make it go really fast, and then you hit it onto a piece of gold foil. And like one out of every 20 molecules that does that loses its carbon and becomes molecular oxygen. Are we doing this in the Large Hadron Collider? No, not that fast. Not that fast. Fast, okay. like, not like, like speed of light fast, more like multiple times the speed of sound fast. But it's another way to potentially create oxygen for people to breathe on the red planet and also potentially to get rid of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, though probably not as efficient as some of the ways that we already know. So that's a thing that exists, and that's all I got. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. You know what we could produce more of is helium. There's a helium shortage. But you, how do you produce more helium? It's an I'm atom. I'm not really sure. But, but there is a helium shortage if you go to Party City. They have signs up. Oh, does it say that? That's a, yeah, that's a, um, the helium is a lot more expensive for your balloons. Oh, because there's a helium shortage. You know where they get most helium? Tell me. It comes out with the natural gas. Oh. So that's where, that's Did they capture it? Yeah. Yeah, they separate it out. It's pretty easy to separate because it's very light. Yeah. And so there is a finite amount of it on Earth. Yeah. Because it escapes. Like, it's just, it's very light, so it goes to the top of the atmosphere and it gets blown away. This makes more sense because I was really aghast, let's say, when I was at Party City and I thought <laughs> second most abundant element in the universe and yeah. there's a shortage. Yeah. Well, if you can go to the sun and pick some up or like Jupiter's got a ton of it. Maybe we should be working on that as well as the yeah. carbon dioxide There's problem. a bit of a distance problem there. Yeah. But it's also because it's used in MRI machines. It is. is It's it's used in some other science experiments too. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's getting anything time you need like cool stuff way down. Like the biggest helium tanks in the world are at the Large Hadron Collider, I believe. And that's where we come full circle. (laughs) Do you mean just the fact that the collider is a circle? Yeah, but we mentioned it earlier. Okay, that too. Well, what a great podcast that's different than what you usually get. I'm so happy that you guys get a refreshing voice. It sounds like you're reading that off your computer. What a great (laughs) podcast. I am so happy. (laughs) This is different. (laughs) Thank you, Vanessa, for joining me and giving John a week off. And thanks for coming to Missoula, Montana. I'm going to take you out for a $2 Americano now. I can't wait. Thanks for having me. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosianna Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're listening to now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. awesome.